Happy New Year uh, 2023 and welcome home uh, to Northridge. We are really all together today on a New Year's Day because we're not in Rochester, we're not at the Rochester campus or Webster, but we're online. And so in a way, uh, we, are, we are family. And I'm not going to um, be speaking today maybe from a typical New Year's message where we look forward and consider some New Year's resolutions and some goals for this year, but I really want us to, to look back and to reflect on God's faithfulness and to consider that verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't know about you, but I, I just, um, I enjoy the underdog comeback sports stories. Uh, and, and in many ways, um, as believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, often we are perceived as underdogs. And throughout church history, the church was often, uh, often persecuted. But I was in high school in the 70s when Rocky came out. And that goes way back. And that first Rocky movie was, to me, the, the most genuine underdog story. I can still remember my friends and I watching that and considering Rocky this great athlete. And we watched him run up the steps of Philadelphia to the music and we cheered him on. It's like, wow, he's, he gets the shot. He's the underdog. He gets the shot at Apollo Creed. We even went to the extent of following what he did with the, all the raw eggs and the blender and the milk and all that stuff. Mix it. We tried that. It, it didn't really go that well for us, but we, we gave it a shot. And fast forward a little bit to uh, the, the 1980s, and perhaps my all-time favorite sports movie was Hoosiers. It's about a basketball team in small town Indiana set in the 50s. And in those days in Indiana, basketball was big, it's big today, but they didn't play in a tournament, a state tournament based on classification. The small schools played against the large schools. And it's based on the true story, the town is Hickory, but it's Milan, Indiana, and those guys in that small, small town made it all the way to the state championship. And if you remember that scene near the end of Hoosiers, Time is ready to go on the clock, just a few seconds to go. It's the final game in the state tournament. It's a tie game. Coach Dale, Gene Hackman, brings those guys together in that little huddle, and he says to them, okay, everyone's expecting Jimmy. Jimmy was a star. Jimmy Chitwood in the movie is going to take the shot, but we're not going to do that. We're going to run a different play, and it's going to go from Buddy to Merle, and all of a sudden it got really quiet in that huddle because none of those guys had the confidence to take that shot, let alone make that shot but Jimmy did. And the words out of his mouth were this. He just said, I'll make it. And coach turned, changed his plan, said Jimmy's going to take the shot. Next thing you know, the ball goes in, in the game, he takes the shot. And over and over again in his life, and his practice, he had taken that same shot. So with great confidence, he makes the shot. It goes through the net as time expires. And Hickory wins the state basketball tournament in Indiana. Great, great story. In some ways... That should be the story of us as followers of Christ, that our confidence, we have confidence for the future because you and I can look back with clarity because we have people before us and events before us that demonstrate our faith from the past. I want to look at Hebrews 13 verse 8 today. Is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. And because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, you and I and the believers of that day were inspired by the past. You see, this letter 
Hebrews was written to Jews who had converted to Christianity, who had realized that Jesus was the Messiah. It's the first century. It's early church. Some of these people knew that Jesus Christ had just risen from the dead. They heard it from their relatives. All the years of looking forward through Old Testament history, finally there was Messiah. Jesus Christ who fulfilled Old Testament scripture, Old Testament prophecy. And they knew now with confidence that the message of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the preeminent one, the one and only, the all in all. And there was a temptation that they had of going back, the struggle of going back to the old way, the old way of temple worship, the old way of sacrifice, the law, the things that had taken place for years and years in their lives. And Hebrews is written, we're not even sure the author, perhaps Paul, but it was, it was, it was written to encourage those Hebrew believers to not go back to believe in Jesus Christ as the all in all, the one and only, and continue and live out their faith because of those who had come before them. And I love the way it's written. There weren't chapters then. It was just a letter. So a few paragraphs earlier before verse 8 actually would be in chapter 11 in your Bible. There's a list of individuals, of famous Old Testament people of faith, Moses, by faith Moses, by faith Noah, by faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, who had lived out their faith, and they were testimonies to that day, hundreds of years later, to those Hebrew Christians who are now seeking to live out their faith and live their life by faith. And I love how you get to the end of chapter 11, and I want to read the verses 36 to 40, because it really brings home how much they lived out their faith even to the point of death. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And those believers were to be able to look back and realize that Jesus Christ was the same yesterday. That was the same Jesus Christ that those followers of God, those followers early on that saw Christ's future, saw Messiah future down the road centuries later, and now these believers experienced that. But they looked back and they realized they lived out their faith, even to the point of death. And no matter how difficult it was for them, they were to reminded. They were to be reminded to not give up even though their culture was dead set against them. So they lived that out. They looked back at the past. But they also lived in the present. And because Jesus Christ is the same today, we are encouraged by the present. Because Christ is the same today, we are encouraged by the present. And that's true for us as it was true for them. And I love how it's put together because you go back one verse in the context. So go back from verse 8 to verse 7 and it says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. In other words, you're to remember, you're to consider, you're to model. You're to look at people who were presently in your life, in that church, that group of believers there, probably in the area of Greece today is where they were living, and notice how they lived their life totally committed to God. Consider that. Seek to imitate your faith after them. Use them as a model. And in a way, it's similar to how we try to do life here at Northridge, if you think about it. 
we encourage people regularly, regularly to be part of a group, a small group, a community group, where you can do life together, where you can seek to apply the Bible to your life, where you can serve God together, where you can be with some people that are a little further along than you are in their spiritual journey, in their life, and receive some help. And also, as you grow in your faith, you're with some people who have perhaps just come to Christ, and you're able to be that model and that godly example, and you begin to do life together. And I love it. I think about it this way. When we, when we come together as a church in a real place, and perhaps at the Rochester campus or the Webster campus, we're here and we're serving, think about how many of us are on a team that serves particularly on a Sunday, and sometimes it's Wednesday, middle of the week with, with our teenagers, with our, our students. But on a Sunday, you may be part of a team that just helps serve coffee in every service, or you help usher, or you help greet, you help with kids' ministry, the kids' ministry, and you're part of a really, really big team. And in a way, all of us encourage each other. We encourage each other just by being together. We encourage each other when one is down, when one is needed, when one has said, hey, I can do this, and... I can help, and all along the way, we, in a way, lock arms, and we serve God together, and one life impacts another life together for the, the cause of Christ. I love it when there's some things that happen intergenerationally, and I see that many times in over my many years at Northridge Church, there's a bunch of stories where I saw, wow, someone in one generation impacts another generation. A number of decades ago, I led student ministry, and we were in Algonquin Provincial Park on a week-long wilderness trip, backpacking and canoeing, and it, there had been two days of just rain. And this high school, these high school kids were miserable. I think some of them might have been crying, even these guys, but the rain was mixed in with the tears, so I couldn't tell. But I had brought a 75-year-old along on that trip named Bill, who was a, a woodsman and a godly, godly man. And that night around what should have been a fire, but what's just a little pile of mud, he quoted some verses in Isaiah. And he talked about the suffering servant. And he talked about his life and his walk with God. And I don't think there's any one of those individuals on that trip, and many of them are in their 40s today, would forget the impact that Bill had on their life for a few short days in the woods. Because he modeled humility and godliness, and he served God well all the years that God gave to him. And over and over again, we see that when we live in the present of our church ministry and we're encouraged by people. And then we have the future. Because Jesus Christ is the same forever, we are equipped for the future. It's 2023 today. It's hard to believe. And we stand on the precipice of a new year, and in a way, there's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of people who are, who are down because they're not excited about 2023. And I was thinking the other day, on, on the world stage, it's like, some people are concerned. Ukraine and Russia, is that going to continue? It's coming up on a year now from that invasion. Will China actually invade Taiwan? Will North Korea actually put a nuclear warhead on some of their missiles? What will Iran do with nuclear capabilities? There's a lot of things out there to, to cause anxiety. And, and bring it home, bring it to Rochester. Can we get worse as far as violence in our city and murders and and teenagers with guns it can be pretty discouraging and then we hear stories of inflation and we wonder 
Are we gonna be in a recession? Is inflation gonna to continue to get worse? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? And people are struggling, even in our own church, and wondering what they're gonna do this next year. And it was a couple weeks ago, my wife came home from Wegmans, and she said, can you believe it? She said, the jumbo boxes of Cheerios, I think it's like this two pack of, because it was like $8. I'm like, what, $8 for my Cheerios? And I have this thing, if it's below 40 degrees out, I know this is kind of crazy. I, I eat oatmeal with brown sugar. And then if it's warm, it's above 40. Outside, I have Cheerios and bananas and milk. So I thought, oh, Cheerios are too expensive here. Don't buy them. I'll just eat milk and bananas. I, I'm going to beat inflation somehow. And I'll water down my orange juice more. So those are two free ideas today for how you can beat inflation in 2023. Water down your orange juice and just eat bananas and milk, and you'll, you'll make it. Those are free. Now, I, don't, I probably shouldn't joke. We can laugh a little bit and maybe that's good, but there are serious things that many of us are facing in 2023. And some wonder, will my family stay together? Will my marriage survive another year? Will my son or daughter walk away fully from their faith this year? Will I have a job? Will I be able to pay my bills? And those things weigh on many. And you know, the story, the illustration from the movie Hoosiers with Jimmy hitting that shot, that really breaks down when we try to apply it to our Christian life because my confidence isn't in my shot. Our confidence isn't in the fact that we can do it on our own, that because we're so good. Our confidence isn't in our church and how well we do things and the fact that we have multiple campuses and resources. No, our confidence is in Jesus Christ. And especially for the future, as Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And our confidence going forward into 2023 and beyond is what Jesus has done. You see, it's not what I'm going to do this next year or what you are going to do this next year. It is what, it's about what has already been done for us, for you. And that's Jesus on a cross who's given us life when we put our faith and trust in him. And that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I don't want us to forget that. I want us to remember that this year. And you know, it's perhaps a little hard sometimes to relate and say, what, what was life really like for a group of, of Jewish believers 2,000 years ago? We can learn some things from them and learn some things from the word of God, that's for sure. But I'd like us to finish this time together and step forward into the present and realize that we're part of a church that's been around for 134 years. And I want to walk through some events and some people from the history of Northridge and understand a little bit better how Jesus Christ has been the same yesterday, today, and forever for all of us at Northridge Church. Whether you've been here for a couple weeks, a couple months, or decades of time, I think we can understand a little better Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my friend Brad Files, who's our online campus pastor, is going to help me. Uh, we're going to walk through some things together that God has taught us over a few decades here at Northridge. I'm so glad to have my friend Brad here on New Year's Day. And uh, we're just, uh, I'm just thankful that he's a friend and a partner in, in ministry at Northridge Church, and we're together here today and celebrating Brad. Thanks for helping us walk through uh, some history of Northridge and God's faithfulness yesterday, today, and forever. Brad, thanks. Well, Happy New Year. 
134 Happy New Years for Northridge Church. Can you it believe it? But listen, I want to thank you personally for not preaching another January 1st New Year's resolutions uh, sermon. That totally would have got me down. Well, I, I was thinking of you because I know by tomorrow you, you mess that up usually. Yeah. Now we could, we could uh, dwell on Brad's faithfulness or God's faithfulness. We're going to have a much more profitable time <laughs> dwelling I, on I, God's faithfulness. Amen to that. Which is why I'm excited about being here. There's so much that we've seen. Yeah, you go back 33 plus years. I go back 55 plus years. Can you believe it? Back to 1967. And even 55 years is not half of of Northridge's journey. And I remember um, when I came, uh, one of my Sunday school teachers, Ruth Brady, I was just a little guy, but I thought she was old. And I'm sure she was much, much younger than I am now. But we were just doing the math and figuring out. I showed up at Northridge Church at five years of age. Ruth Brady, much older than me, her family brought her to Northridge Church at five years of age in the Great Depression during yes. the 1930s. Yeah, yeah the, the, the height of the Great Depression, she began to go to Northridge Church. And that church mm-hmm. was located on Avenue A in Clinton in the right. city. Mm-hmm. And it began in 1889, two years at the Clifford Avenue Mission. And then right. they had their first property mm-hmm. in 1891. And, and there's a, a picture of it there. Yeah. Uh, behind us. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And we were there. I say we. <laughs> it was right. Not us. Time. Yeah. But we know people who go back to that time. But we as a church were there for decades. And you think of all the history that that church, and I'm talking about the people, not the building, that the people survived yep. you know, through that. That span of time covers two world wars. It covers the Great Depression. Um, our world is rocked today by a pandemic, but that's, this isn't our first rodeo. You know, Northridge Church was through a global pandemic before the Spanish sure. flu right at the end of World War I. Yeah, and, and you mentioned Ruth. It would have been Ruth and, and Evelyn Thompson were still alive here mm-hmm. serving God at Northridge Church up until just a few years ago. Right. And they went back. They were children in the 30s during the Great Depression being brought by their parents to that church, that building on Avenue Way in Clinton. And that, that to me is amazing to think of that heritage of God's faithfulness mm-hmm. across generations and the, the message of the gospel that was central to what they were part of that still is, is part today. Right. And it was Ruth and her husband Lee that welcomed <clears throat> us to Northridge Church the summer of uh, 1989, before we could get in our house in Irondequoit, we lived with them, with, our, with, our, with two of our children. Um, yeah. So the, the, the story continues. Yeah, and all the way from Ruth's parents to great-grandchildren. Yes. I mean, we're counting up to six yeah. generations now, you know, in that family. For sure. But um, that building, uh, like I said, survived so much history. But then there came a point at which that building no longer served their needs. They were running out of space. What was it? Yeah, well, let me, let me just back it up one more oh, thing. In the middle of the Great Depression, or the later years of the oh, Depression, yeah. Northridge has yet to send out any missionaries, mm-hmm. any foreign missionaries. And they send out Bob and Grace Kohler to the Philippines. And within a couple of years, World War II begins. Mm-hmm. And Bob and Grace Kohler are actually 
hiding out in the jungles in the island of Mindanao to escape the Japanese occupation during World War II. And there were believers here at Northridge Church that remember that had remembered those days. Some would tell us when we were younger, mm-hmm. told us the stories that there was a long time when Northridge Church did not know if they were alive right. for many months, and they escaped on a submarine. The U.S. Navy had to rescue them. The U.S. Navy them. rescued them and brought them to Australia, and uh, yeah. they faithfully proclaimed the gospel. And mm-hmm. in the 90s, I got to go to the Philippines. Northridge sent me to the Philippines for a, period, for a short period of time for a visit, and Bob and Grace took me all over that section of the island and showed me church after church that they were part of planting that now three generations later were being pastored by national Filipino pastors and Bob and Grace had walked had walked all over this mountainous area proclaiming the gospel. Right. Northridge Church in the 30s and 40s mm-hmm. and into the 50s had prayed for them and sent them money and helped them start gospel preaching, Bible preaching churches all yeah. over that island. Amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Years later, I was just a kid and I remember them, you know, as the missionary. Yes. It was years later before all those stories got unfolded yeah. for me. Yeah. But uh, so much history at Avenue A and North Clinton. And then again, that was it parking, it was space. They knew that for them to grow and to continue to serve, they needed to move. So they headed to the frontier, I guess, <laughs> at the time. The corner of St. Paul and Eastridge, this land becomes available where mm-hmm. our Rochester campus is located today. They buy a, a half dozen acres of property here mm-hmm. that has a house out front on St. Paul and a carriage house, a yeah. stable for horses for, from horse and buggy days. Uh-huh. And that becomes their church. Their it sounds, meeting sounds place. like Christmas. I yes. mean, they, they went to a stable to worship Christ. <laughs> but uh, they, they, of course, renovated that. Uh, by the time we were around, they were no longer worshiping there. But we know people today who worshiped in that building. Yeah, and that, that picture there, it's right across from our main lobby where you'd come in today. Mm-hmm. If you were at the Rochester campus, you'd, mm-hmm. you'd recognize that building still stands. It's still being used today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bob Garnham, Jack Robeson, um, still serving here at Northridge. They were among some of the people actually worshiped in that building. Yeah, yeah. But when they came here, they weren't looking for that building to be the destination. In fact, they stepped back. They, they left a church that had, had pews and stained glass and everything that they needed you know, to come to this with a vision for the future. A lot more trees, a lot more green, but they knew uh, what they wanted uh, to do. Um, they got rid of that house uh, that was there. I remember that house as a kid. We'd have Sunday school in the basement, and I remember the rats running along the, the floor. I mean, I was a little guy. I think guy. they were big mice. They might have been mice. I mean, in my eyes, they look like rats, and, and we do a much better job with kids' ministry today. Your kids are very safe. Uh, we, do a, we do a good job. <laughs> but, um, but they didn't intend to stay there, and they spent really over a decade saving, you know, getting the resources they wanted. When they... They wanted to build a building they could pay for, and they planned, and they made it happen. Yeah, and so we get to early 60s. 1961 Mm -hmm. is the date, the cornerstone on the building that you would know at the Rochester campus as our lobby. Mm-hmm. And that becomes the, the church sanctuary, the worship center yep. in the 60s. In 1962, uh-huh. we were able to move in there, move from a carriage house that had been renovated to a, a really nice, up-to-date, modern church building. And yeah. in the 60s is when your mom and dad and brought yeah. you here as a little guy. Yeah, now I get to tell my own story. So Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> so in 1967, I was five years old and my dad was working at Kodak office and someone comes walking through the office and said, does anyone's wife 
play the organ. I guess they figured that men couldn't play an organ. But anyway, does anyone's wife play the organ? And my dad said, my wife plays the organ. So our very first Sunday here, I'm five years old, was on those wooden pews. And where the fireplace is now was a pulpit. Um, up high, there's a coffee machine there now, but that's where the organ was. We had piano, organ, a choir with robes. And my mom played the organ. And John Betlam was behind the pulpit. Uh, preaching there. John Betlam, who led this church for over 30 years, he got to see that transition from Avenue A here to the carriage house in this property and had that vision, you know, for that building. And he was preaching uh, when I showed up. And I also had a Sunday school teacher. We've talked about Ruth Brady. He had a few Sunday school teachers, but I remember very clearly, 1969, I'm seven years old, Hmm. and Ruth Brady was teaching Sunday school in what was the choir room where people put on their robes, but we had Sunday school in there. And every week, Ruth said, if you want to hear me explain the gospel, stick around and I will explain it to you. And my buddy Byron, he kept elbowing me and say, Brad, Brad, we gotta stay and and hear the gospel. And I just knew as a kid, that I was gonna go to heaven or hell. I wanted to make sure that I went to heaven. So I stuck around and Ruth explained to me that Our sins, I'm a sinner, and my sins deserve judgment, they deserve death, they deserve hell, but Jesus, the perfect God-man, came and hung on a cross, and he suffered the wrath that I should have suffered. He paid the penalty for my sins, and if I would accept his sacrifice, make him Lord, then he would um, bring me into God's family, and I could spend eternity with him. Well, I know Byron was all in, and he just prayed that prayer right away, but I was mouthing the words and still thinking about it. And I went home, and I talked to my mom, and I said, asked her to explain the gospel to me. She told me the same gospel that Mrs. Brady had shared with me. And I said, Mom, that's too easy. And she said, Brad, it's easy because Jesus did the hard part. And I remember it was a couple of nights later. I'm in bed after dark. And I said, Lord, I I believe this. And I prayed sincerely that prayer at that time uh, as a seven-year-old. And it's interesting because I've been to public school. I've been to secular university. And nothing has changed the truth Hmm. of that gospel for me. And I've been to seminary where, you know, we had very thick books, used (laughs) lots of big words, you know, go really deep on theology. And as rich as that is... Nothing changes the simplicity and the sufficiency of what I heard. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. His gospel, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have always preached that message. And Northridge continued to proclaim that and live that and minister as effective as they could in the the culture of the 60s and to the 70s. And we built a a gym and an educational wing and Mm -hmm. where our kids ministry uh, section meets now here at Rochester campus. And we get to the early 2000s. Yeah. And we realize we need more space. We need something <laughs> more modern, something a common, a common. And so we begin a capital campaign in yeah. 07 into 08 to yeah. make the addition here at our Rochester campus to more than double our seating capacity and provide for techno- technological upgrades and, and different music and mm-hmm. just everything. And yeah. God challenges us. We've got to raise $4.5 million. Yeah. yeah. I, you had talked about Bill Parsons during your message. Mm. And I remember, Bill, I grew up with Bill, and Bill poured his life, like you said, 
happened to young people, including myself. I would come home from college and Bill Parsons would say, Brad, I pray for you and Clint, my brother, every day. I mean, I get choked up just thinking about that, that someone would, he wasn't related to me, but he loved, you know, the young people of this church and spent his life praying for them. And as old as he was, he was, he embraced the change. I remember doing capital campaign, that was a new idea, but I remember going to his house. He hosted a meeting, you know, to explain and encourage people to participate in the capital campaign. But that campaign then made it possible for us to build this. No, and I think of even what it was like, 07 and 08 and 09 was what we called in our country the Great Recession. Yeah. And there were churches around the country that put buildings on hold and and expansions were put on hold in businesses. Mm -hmm. And we continue to trust God, God provided, and Mm -hmm. we were able to come into this edition in 2010. And um, so many pledges were made at that time and people were faithful. And God was faithful. God was faithful, absolutely. We we realized our dependence on God Mm -hmm. and the mission of the gospel Mm -hmm. to to reach our community and beyond, and and God was faithful. We look back, and within a few years, Mm -hmm. this was paid for, you know, (laughs) less than 10, you know, and uh, it's amazing to think about that. So we we come in the beginning of 2010. Our grand opening, I remember, was February, a a month or so before that, before we came into this auditorium. We did a worship night, and there were no chairs yet, and there was no carpet on it. It was bare concrete. Yeah. And I can remember where I stood because our goal that night, we were all going to, there were a few hundred of us. We uh-huh. were only a church of six or 700 then at that point. We were going to write names on the concrete and some Bible verses and prayer requests, names of people we wanted to see come to Christ. Right. And I can remember where I stood because I was with Martha Markham, who was 90 at the time, <laughs> and a friend of mine, Ron, and she she wanted to write some things on there, and we offered to write for her. And she says, no, I'm going to write this myself. Now, imagine we had to get a 90-year-old onto the concrete floor and then get her back up again. You and succeeded. I just, yeah, I just remember her determination. You know, she mm-hmm. had been with us. She was, again, she yeah. was one of your Sunday school teachers yeah. way I back. Re- yeah. I remember her 50 years earlier, literally, yeah. when she was one of my Sunday school teachers. I remember her taking yeah. me and Marsha Kingsbury home with her Sunday afternoon after church, and we were in elementary school, but she spent decades mm. pouring into the lives of so many young people. And I know so many of them are now spread around the world serving Christ. Yeah. And, and Martha did that, wrote some things on the floor. We got her up. She continued to worship God here in this building for the next year. It wasn't mm-hmm. too much longer that God called her home, right. but she was always down near the front. Mm-hmm. And she and others of that age group, um, the music was foreign to them. Yeah. The styles had changed, but they loved that God was reaching another generation for Christ. That mm-hmm. always spoke to me how excited they were that people came to know Christ and they saw young people up front here helping us reach a, a changing culture. Yeah, may we do likewise as we look at the younger people in this church. I want to hear, I want them making the decisions yeah. about that kind of thing. We're always going to be committed. Um, to the same Christ, the same Savior, yeah. but how we share that message yeah. is always. And in the last 10 years, you know, from that, within a couple of years, we, we started a campus in Greece, and a couple mm-hmm. of years later, over into Webster in 14, and, and Henrietta in 17. And fam. And then we are able to, to get a building uh, yeah. on Salt Road in Webster, have a permanent place there. And even that was... Uh, 
you know, we had to face a pandemic that spring and a shutdown, and we were Again, scheduled to open. And in, the, like, yeah. in the sovereignty of God, you know, the campaign was done. Yeah. You know, the plans were made. The building was underway. God had mm-hmm. done all those things, knowing full well a pandemic was coming. Right. But that did not. God was faithful. Yeah. We got through that pandemic and gave us that campus. Yeah. Yeah. And in all of those, we were reminded. I know all of us were reminded of the fact that. It's the same Christ, Mm -hmm. yesterday, today, forever. It's the same gospel message. Our styles have changed. Our locations have changed online, how we do that. Mm -hmm. But it's the same message seeking to penetrate into the souls of people so that their life can be changed and, and, and turned around. Yeah. Well, thanks for letting me reminisce with you. We could tell a lot oh, more we stories. Could, we could go on for a long time, well into 2023, but we'd start losing people, so we should stop now. And, uh, and you and I, it just, it's just great to give God the credit. Thanks Absolutely. For, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for serving together here and locking arms mm-hmm. and uh, just encouraging me in so many ways and so many others as God has used you uh, and your story and the stories of so many people here at Northridge Church. I, I've been blessed beyond mm-hmm. anything I can well, describe. Right back so. at you, my Thanks. Brad, let me go ahead and uh, just, just close out our time in prayer and let's, let's give, give God the glory. Let's pray. God, thanks for allowing Brad and I to, to have a little part in a, in a big picture. And we realize your plan of redemption is so, so beyond us. We thank you, God, for your son, Jesus, for that, um, that truth in Hebrews that your son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for Northridge. We pray that we would continue to be faithful to your son and to your word. And God, we ask your blessing on this year and many other years. Might we serve you well as we look to brighten this year, as we look to uh, expand and increase our influence. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.